Kevin. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. I am here with Evan. That's me. Hello. Hello. Uh, how is your week going, Evan? Uh, it's going good. Uh, we've had a lot of projects going on at the house because my father-in-law came in uh, to stay with us. My father-in-law is like a real, he's a real handy guy. He's a real handyman guy, a handy guy man. He, uh, to, <laughs> to tell you, he's been watching that show, This Old House, you know, the one. Um, oh, yeah. Where, yeah. He's watched that show religiously for more than 35 years. Every single weekend, every Sunday, he watches that show. So he came in and he, him and Emily were doing all sorts, like they're just up and down the stairs doing projects with saws, cutting things. And meanwhile, I'm just like playing a video game. <laughs> so I fell asleep <laughs> on the floor. Uh, I, did, <laughs> I was not super useful. Uh, I'm, the, I'm just, you know, I'm the support crew. Yeah. I, uh, I, was, I was helping in support. Uh, that's that's not true. I helped. I helped a little well, bit, but how, they, how are you? I mean, how are, they need that. They need that to to really get their the full energy going for their for their this old house home repairs. At one point, I was laying on the ground next to the project they were working on <laughs> with my hoodie pulled over my eyes, and I fell asleep. <laughs> uh, so, so that's that's it. How are you doing, Joe? Nice. I am doing good. Uh, I had a couple of couple of mea couples from last week's episode. Oh. Uh, the, yeah, the big one when I was I was listening back and uh, I noticed w- I was talking about the Kent C. Dodds article and he pulled in his friend and I called him Matthew Kalina. And when I was even when I was listening back to it, I was like, his name is not Matthew Kalina. It's Matteo Kalina. And I and I just felt very weird hearing myself say Matthew Kalina. And it just felt very strange. So uh, my fault. Uh, it is Matteo Kalina. Um the other thing that not it may a couple, but I, I looked into Vitest a little bit and I, I dug a little bit into their mocking system and uh, yeah, it seems like it just works. I was like, I was like, why it hasn't just updated their uh, their mocking system to work with ES modules yet? Because Vitest, it just works. I like we talked about Vitest, um, you and I, not not on the podcast. We talked about it a while ago and you were recommending it. You were saying it's it's really fast. And I was like, oh, I yeah, well, check it, it out. Fast, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I should check it out. And I was in the back of my mind. I was like, well, just has been around a long time and it's probably a little bit more battle tested and hardened. Um, but I've been given VTest a little, giving it a whirl and it's great. It's so far, it's been working really well. It's basically got the exact same API as, as Justin. And um, I really like it. Are there the same level of things built? Like, so for instance, with Jest, you can get the, um, What's that extension for extra DOM assertions? Mm, yeah, good question. It's called, yeah, it's called, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it's actually- You know what I'm um, talking about, like to be in the document or yeah. like to have accessible name, all, all these extra assertions that yeah. exist. Do you think Vitest has that as well? I don't know. That's a good question because that's main, I don't think that, I mean, that's not maintained by the Jest folks as far as I know. That's maintained by, I think, like the React testing library folks. I think it's maintained actually by Kent I think Dodds. so too. Yeah. It's yeah. just really good. Um, I find I find the combination of that and RTL to force me into more uh, user-focused tests. Yeah. So I, w- I would kind of be bummed out if I lost that going to V test. 
Yeah, I should I should see if if uh, Vtest is compatible with that. I have like a little. I do this whenever I want to dive into a into like a technology I, I don't know or like a library I don't know. I just spin up a little repo and I'm like, okay, let me just like play around with it. So yeah, I'll I'll see if I can add that to this and and see how compatible it is. Yeah, I mean, let me know if you get any further with it because, like I said, I experimented with it a while ago, got really excited about it, and then. I just ran into some problems. Like I, I haven't. Like I, I kind of wonder what's the what's the the user story for porting a large code base of Jest tests, yeah, uh, into VTest. I wonder. I'm sure that they've kind of figured that out because maybe there's like a code mod or something that we could use. I don't know. Yeah, nice. that's true. Because like the imports are a little bit different. And you also mentioned that like it, it may not actually be as as uh, as much faster as it uh, first appears. It sounds like there have been reports of some some cases yes. where it's not as fast. Yeah, I swear to God, it's it's like all these we um we did the one about bun. So uh, an art we did an article way way back with the one about bun, and it was central to that article was the discussion about the trap of simple performance tests. Where like they're like Bun is four hundred and fifty million times faster than Node, and then but it's like <laughs> for this project that has twelve files, uh, these a lot of like uh, Rust. Well, that one's actually proven to be very fast, but there's been some <laughs> other technologies. Yeah, <laughs> been Rust. Other I don't know. It's, it's not really that fast. <laughs> that Rust and like no shit. That one's really really good. <laughs> um, there's been a couple other ones. Oh, like recently. Oh, Turbo uh, Turbo Pack. Oh yeah came out and then uh evan you i think came out and then was like well it's not actually that fast under different circumstances or yeah. something so i just think that uh there is hype there's the hype machine in open source libraries then there's the reality machine which is yeah you've got weird setups or you've got who knows circular dependencies that make vtest super slow yeah. whatever it is uh, but it's almost never exactly expressly as good as they say it is that's right. You've also got the hype deflators, which is us. That's what I like to refer to us as, like deflating the hype balloon. Because we always take a, we always take like a topic and we're like, here's some topic that everybody's talking uh, talking about hyping up a lot, and we're just kind of like, yeah, it's probably got some issues too. Um, yeah, we're the I will powers. say about Turbo Pack though, I'm excited. I, I saw that they um, they tweeted. I mean, you know, now to go the other direction, just like hype up some everybody's already hyping up, but. Um, they tweeted that Turbo Pack is going to be compatible with Webpack plugins soon. I, I don't know if it's like, I think it's currently experimentally uh, compatible with, with Webpack plugins, which is great because if you if you have, you know, if you've built some Webpack plugins and you're using them in a production app, it's that's kind of one of the hardest things to uh, to shift over to a different build system. So if yeah. Turbo Pack, yeah, if Turbo Pack is compatible and still keeps up the same speed that they're promising, then like, I see a bright future for Turbo Pack. Yeah, I mean that it's another uh, Vercel product, so that means they've got eight million people over there that are going to work on it. So I think that's you got to probably bet on that horse over time. Yeah, uh, this is so. This is sort of another side note, but like, oh, breaking news: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Netlify bought Gatsby. Oh wow! I didn't hear that. Yeah, so. You know, now Vercel owns Next. Uh, so Vercel was a deployment company first and foremost, right? I think that's what they started as, is like deployment infrastructure and, uh, you know, that that like layer on top of AWS. Netlify is also a deployment company that has other stuff. Uh, so Netlify bought Gatsby. And I think that's kind of interesting. So I don't, I don't know why. Um, yeah. 
Shopify bought Remix, so everybody's buying frameworks. This, yeah. this is just such a weird time to be alive where it people is. are building JavaScript <laughs> frameworks and they're getting bought by actual companies. That yeah. It's just so bizarre to me. So we'll see what happens there. I didn't think that Gatsby was a target to be bought because it's been over time consistently losing user base right. <laughs> and like to, the statically to, generated sites. Yeah, to, to next, right? To next, and 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 you know, to some degree, uh, um, remix at this point. Well, yeah, because next basically can do anything Gatsby can do, and can do it better. Yeah, you can do static so. site generation. Yeah. You can do like server side rendering. You can do full client side rendered apps. You can do static exports. You could do whatever. It, it's like yep. it just beats Gatsby. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting, like breaking yeah. news. I think that was uh, Friday or something. Well, Recent. keep your eyes open for the runtime rundown static site generator so we can get bought by uh, who else is who else Gosh. is on the market to buy a, a framework? Maybe, uh, I don't know. Facebook doesn't own a framework. Oh, there you go. Right? They made React, but they don't have a framework. Yeah. Just yep. <laughs> uh, we'd, we'd be like bought by GoDaddy or something. <laughs> <laughs> we need some like lower tier like company. Maybe... Yep. Um, Oh, who did DigitalOcean? That'd be a good one. DigitalOcean go. needs a framework. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I got a quick question. For, we're going to try and keep it quick. And so I got a question for you. What are you reading? Okay. It's me, I think. Um, I missed the mute button. I couldn't come back on. So <laughs> we're reading an article called Feedback Ladders, how how we encode code reviews at Netlify. So this is on the Netlify blog. Funny that we were talking about Netlify buying Gatsby. <laughs> um, so this article or blog post, I guess, is about how they have codified code review responses to kind of standardize code reviews across the company. Uh, and kind of like cut off code review issues uh, at the core. So they kind of have, you know, there's, there's, it's not a huge article. So this is why we wanted to cover this one sort of as a quick hit, more of a quick hit article. They have uh, one, two, three, four, five different terms that they use as sort of a prefix to their code review comments. We can go into each one of those, but think like I've left code review comments that say like knit or, you know, blocker or whatever. This is, Think about like conventional commits, but for code review. Yep. Uh, and that's what this is about. It kind of describing how you could do this and, and maybe why. Uh, and I think it's a good topic. You know, code review is always a bugaboo. Uh, it, it can be at least who people dif- see code review different ways, right? So I think it's kind of interesting to try and find a way to standardize code review at a company like Netlify. Yeah, conventional con- uh, <clears throat> Conventional commits for code review is a good way to put it because conventional commits, if you're not familiar with it, is like you uh, you include the word like uh, bug fix or chore or breaking change in your uh, in your in your um, comment, like in your commit comment, and uh, it will when you go to publish a new version. Uh, conventional commit, you know, there's a library that will look through your commit messages and it will it will understand how to version that the next version of that library based on uh, the comments. So um, this is sort of like that, but yeah, for, for, um, for uh, code review, <laughs> which, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's great. Let's, let's jump into the, um, the actual different, uh, different terminology here. So the most extreme kind of on one end is a, a mountain. So you leave a mountain um, comment and it's blocking and requires immediate action. So this would be something that is, uh, is basically like, 
um, you know, something that you can't, you, you don't even want to do any more work on the, uh, on the, the code itself. You don't want to tell the person like this is blocking, but like, you know, go work on some other stuff. Uh, in the meantime, this is like, this is blocking and you should actually rethink your whole, uh, process around, around this, this PR. Um, so like in the example they give is, um, developers working on an issue and discovers more about the problem domain that wasn't previously known. So this is not just, this is not just like, uh, you know, this is fetching the wrong data. This is like, there's actually something major that has shifted in the problem domain. Yeah. So I want to go back really quick to talk about, uh, they outline the problem so that they're trying to solve with this. And the, the problem is, I think a general problem in code review is that there is a constant struggle, or at least there is an esoteric struggle in code review between excellence of engineering, whatever that means, and speed of shipping. So you're trying to strike some sort of balance. And everybody might have different opinions on what that balance looks like. Because you could you could review code to the end of time and make it better and better and better and better. More perfect solution, excellent you know, whatever architecture, who, who knows, but then you're not shipping code at all. And then you have this brilliant code base that's so slow that no one can do anything with it. And then you, you know, your startup shuts down. Um, <laughs> on the other side is that you're just like gripping and ripping it. You know, you're shipping literally anything with very little oversight. And then yes, your speed of delivery is going super fast, but the tech debt gets so expensive over time that you can't make changes rapidly in the future because you have to consistently make up for the mistakes of the past. And then your um, startup runs out of money and shuts down. So you <laughs> want to find the middle ground, right? And that's that's what they're trying to do because with code review, each engineer has a different look at what that might be. And also each engineer might have a different idea of what a you know an optimization is versus a blocker. Uh, and also the other the other thing they're trying to solve for by standardizing is that Code review is communication. It is uh, inherently it is someone talking to somebody else. Now it's asynchronous. You know you, you're leaving comments on something, but it is uh, written communication between two people, which lacks body language and back and forth. I've done code reviews in person. I found those to be super rewarding, uh, like live code review. But in a remote world now, you know, in a GitHub diff or something like that, this is you're not getting any of that para language. You're getting like just what they, what you read and write. And that can, that can be pretty tough actually, depending on how someone presents their information in a code review or presents their request. It can be, you know, aggressive accidentally. It could be mean. They don't mean it to, but they just like none of the, you know, tone is coming through or something like that. So they standardized on these five terms uh, to help people have a kind of a shared vernacular for how to approach these problems so that they they have like a general concept of this is blocking this is not and then they also have a way to talk to each other in a standardized way so that you can't get as many like hurt feelings and issues in that way so i just wanted to kind of take it back there yeah i think i think it's a good idea i I jumped into the into the actual uh names when i I think i should we should have yeah talked about this a little bit more um yeah, we've. I think we've all been through code review where somebody leaves a comment and you're like, I don't know if this is blocking or not, or if this is just them being nitpicky. And uh, I, I, you know, at some point in my career, I learned, um, oh, if I'm leaving a comment that I intend to be non-blocking, that I'm just like, this is an optional note, you could do this, or this is a nitpick, I will be 
extra clear about that in the comment. Um, so I will say like either optional or suggestion or nitpick, optional nitpick. Um, so you want to be, you want to make sure you're really clear so that you're not blocking something that is, uh, you know, that's, that's just whatever. You're just kind of like, this is my opinion. Um, the other thing that uh, I like to do a lot of times, and I, I've, I've come to realize that this is something I take for granted because I work with a team of engineers who I really trust to do good work. And so it's like, you know, I have the luxury of being able to do this, but uh, I will leave comments. And then if they're all non-blocking, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll um, you know, approve the PR and I'll say, you know, after these comments are addressed, uh, this is all good to go. Um, it's kind of like a, there's like a term like fix it, ship it or whatever. So you give a ship. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. You, you approve the PR, but you still leave a few comments around things that you would probably change. But those will be all non-blocking. Like, it's been a long time since I've had to leave a blocking uh, comment. But, like, sometimes that'll happen. And you say, this definitely needs to be addressed. And I'm not going to, you know, in my in my head, I'll say, I'm not going to approve this yet because, like, I want to make sure that this doesn't slip through the cracks. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of where I come from with that. There's one line that I like in the beginning, sort of when they're describing the problem, which is, like, uh, Code review is not a binary. There's no binary divide between good code that can be merged and bad code that must be changed. There's like always going to be this gray area. And usually you will you will kind of have a sense for okay, I really I really am not comfortable approving this until this until I see this changed. Um but in my experience that's generally with maybe a um if you're reviewing code for somebody who's not on your team or maybe you you are like you don't have a a, a close working relationship with that's that's when i tend to leave uh reviews that are that are like you know i don't just uh fix it ship it yeah exactly um okay so i want the next one so you mentioned mountain uh which is a blocking comment a mountain is needs immediate action holy bleep you know this is gonna like blow up a system or something like that if we ship it uh the next level of comment is a boulder and that is also blocking so it kind of to me i, I don't the difference between a mountain and a boulder, I guess, is a little bit whatever, but I still like the idea of maybe having uh, maybe having the difference. But anyways, the boulder is that it should block work from moving forward or being approved, but like the rest of the team doesn't need to do anything. So I think that's the difference is mountain is like they've learned something and then the whole mm -hmm. team probably needs to go back to the drawing board to re-architect the feature uh, or like re uh, build a new system design. Or something like that, and if that happens in code review, woof, that's rough because yeah, you know, that's a you're at the end of the train. You, <laughs> you're yeah. like the, the writing code is the very last thing you do. So that means that if you have a mountain, you know you're going way back, like you know potentially months back, right to to solutioning. A boulder is less so. This is more. This is at the implementation level. The system is sound. The architecture is sound, but there's a blocking problem. Uh, the example that they give here is that. A feature has been implemented and tagged for review. When testing the deploy preview or something, a reviewer notices that the wrong API endpoint is used and the data displayed is incorrect. So that you, you know, you go, you stop, you go back, you change the API endpoint, data is correct. Uh, that's a blocking comment because you can't, if you shipped it, it would provide a broken experience. But the rest of it is kind of fine, right? So th this is the idea of the boulder. You'd say like boulder, you know, wrong endpoint, please go back and fix that. And then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a bug. It's like an obvious bug that you're like, there is a bug in this code and the code is not going to work until you fix it. So, so it's blocking, but it's not, but yeah, it's like you say, like you can fix it now. You, you don't need to go re-architect everything. Um, I think, 
you know, thinking about the mountain, I'm, th- I'm trying to think of any cases where I've where I've had a mountain comet, and I can think of one case where there is a a six thousand plus line code review. Oh that, my god! Yeah, it was broken up. I think into ten plus uh, like individual reviews, and it was it went out to like you know split up between a bunch of different. Reviews. It was it was a it was a uh, an unusual situation, but um. But, you know, what, a time when I could think of maybe you could do like a, a mountain or maybe a mountain would kind of like be more appropriate is uh, if you're working on a new system and you're kind of like you're you know, this is going to be a big project. Sometimes what I like to do is suggest getting a review early in that process. So like you start doing some expo- exploration work and then you get the code reviewed before you go into like, you know, polishing and and getting it production ready so at that point you're maybe like 20 percent into this review but you have some stuff written at that point i could see getting a review and leaving a mountain comment to say like oh let's actually let's let's uh kind of revisit this whole thing and see if there's a better way to to do this so yeah uh, that makes sense i like yeah. i like that i actually yeah. like that that idea of um man i hate the term but it's shifting left yeah uh right so you're doing uh, proof of concept or technical discovery work. And as part of that, you're building, you're just putting code down into diffs and they're like draft uh, PRs or like whip PRs, basically you're just saying, Hey, take a look at this. What do you think about this general concept? And at that point you'd hit the mountain and say, like, like you said, right. Hit the mountain. And then like your team goes back to the drawing board. Uh, I can't personally think of a mountain I've ever left just because if you if you're doing that as a code reviewer and say you're if you're a lead in a team or like a more senior engineer and you're leaving a mountain code on a PR of one of your teammates you messed up yeah in my opinion like yeah. you should have you should have been in there <laughs> talking right. to that person like doing system design review or like helping them architect this thing being involved asking for a design like a design document or reviewing their because unless like your team is structured in a way where they just go off and then they did stuff and came back to you. And I can't speak to that because I don't see that very often. Right. There's probably some touch points along the way that got to this. And like you should, if this is happening, you should look at your team process maybe and, and say like, hey, should we have another layer? Because it's much cheaper to do this type of iteration in a one page design document or a couple page technical discovery than it is at the code review level. It's so expensive to do it at code review because uh, because you're going to go all the way back to the beginning and rewrite everything and then throw out all this time, right? It's just so expensive. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing uh, about about uh, you know leaving mountain code review comment uh, seems much more appropriate to do in person. If anything, like if you have to do it at all, it's like I can't imagine leaving a comment that's like let's rethink this whole thing. I would be like reach out to the person and be like. Hey, I'm so sorry to have to say this, but, uh, but I think we need, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like meet in person. And I think, I just think something like that is too nuanced to leave in a, in a comment that could be misconstrued or you end up writing paragraph anyway. Um, but yeah, I think we've probably covered the, the mountain boulder, uh, a, a lot, but so the next two, okay. So when we started this, you, you were, you were kind of like, um, you were kind of trying to, uh, we started talking about the difference between mountain and boulder. I actually had that same reaction when I got to pebble and sand. So the next two are pebble non-blocking, but requires future action and sand not blocking, but requires future consideration to me. I'm like, that's the same thing. Just like, just make that both pebbles because these are, I think probably the most common, at least in, in my experience, uh, lately, the most common 
uh, code review comments you you are leaving, which is like, this doesn't need to be addressed right now. Uh, it's not blocking to this PR, but this is, I think, an issue. And I think that we should actually like revisit this maybe in a, in a, a future PR. And here's where it gets, uh, I think, because this is why this covers the the broadest ground, because you can always be improving your code. And a lot of that improvement comes from getting more people's eyes on the code. So one person writes the code, another person says, I think we could probably do this in a little bit better way. But like, let's ship this code because shipping is like, you know, you want to get this out there. It's not broken. Um, but it, it will incur a little bit of tech debt if we leave it like this. So let's ship it. And then let's have a follow up PR that's part of the, you know, part of the same epic. And, uh, and let's, let's like, revisit this. In my mind, that's the same thing as as sand, which is like future consideration. Why why consider it if there's no action that needs to be taken? Yeah, so that's kind of a funny one. So Pebble is non-blocking but requests future action, right? Their example was during a design review, a designer says they'd like to change the background color of the status badge to make it more clear. That's kind of actually a bad example. I think um, I could see, uh, I don't know, like maybe you should optimize the performance like maybe this might re-render a few too many times or something like yeah. that you know i don't know uh, you know who who knows and sand is requires future consideration the example they gave here was uh it could be more readable so like hey you could probably maybe add some more comments here or something like that that this function might be tough to read for the next person to me the difference between future consideration and future action is how committed your tech lead is to prioritizing tech debt like that, it, it's, it's mm. literally like if you have future action and consideration, both are going to be a ticket. Probably like, unless you mm-hmm. just like are supposed to remember this, which will never happen. And all this shit goes into the ether. Yeah. Like likely it's like, Hey, throw this in a to do, you know, put it in to do or like make a, make a task or a t- you know, whatever you call it, a ticket or something. Yeah. Um, to do comment that never gets, never gets revisited. <laughs> yeah. Or like a tech dead ticket. And then never gets revisited. But yeah. I like both of these things are sort of the same concept to me. And it's just a question of if you do it or not. Uh, but either way, these are like sort of knit comments, um, nitpick type things, you know, where you're just saying like, ah, it could be better. Uh, but it's definitely not going to stop you. So I think it's important still to remember these don't stop the train. The only ones that stop the train are mountain and boulders. Like you shouldn't, maybe not shouldn't. But stopping code reviews, it's so expensive. I want to reiterate that. It's just like it's so expensive to just blow up a code review unless there's a really good reason. And I'm not saying they don't happen. I just mean the difference between what you think the code should look like and if it runs well and is good enough are different. Like you might have very strong opinions of how code should look, but it doesn't mean that is how code has to look. Right. And I think that's an important detail that they're kind of bringing up with these. It's like with sand particularly, they just go, yeah, this could look better. Like I would write, I'd write this different. And I think the way I'd write it would be better. So maybe you should comment it and change it up. doesn't mean you stop the damn train because like you get, you have a whole team of different people. Yeah. And they call out how expensive it is to go back and forth in, in comments. They say, you know, if you leave, if you leave a comment and it's blocking, it could be a couple of days. I mean, it's probably not, but it could, it could be, especially in, in remote work. I, you know, maybe people are in different time zones. It could be a couple of days, could be a full, uh, at least let's say a full 24 hour cycle until that code gets, uh, gets back to you with the person saying, okay, is it good enough now? And so then you've added that you've added a lot of time into the feedback loop that could you know, that, that, so, so you better make it important if it is like that. Um, 
the uh, yeah, the, the I guess in my mind, I'm thinking thinking about like the future action versus future consideration, and I'm like, if it if if it's just consideration, then it should either be pushed up into action, and you should and you should either do it then as part of that. You know, the example they give is is uh, readability or uh, or variable name. It's like I I would say that should either be addressed then if it's a variable name change, just do it now, just like ha- you know have it as part of this uh, PR. It's going to take two minutes just do it now um or if it's going to be a if it's going to be less than that if it's just a consideration if you're like this could be more readable but whatever in my mind that's uh that's the next level down which we haven't talked about yet but it's uh, it's they call it dust it's a nitpick it's like you know a lot of times we we, we would even leave that uh call it a naming nit like naming nit i think that this uh variable could be named better or something like that yeah the difference there. So you mentioned like, if you can just do it in five minutes, then do it. A lot of that I think is the relationship between the code reviewer and the code reviewee Yeah, and having largely, I think, I don't know for sure, but in all, in the experience that I've had and I, and I could just kind of extrapolate that out, you're probably reviewing code for your teammate. It's you're less likely to be reviewing code of a complete stranger, unless you're working like an, you're an open source library maintainer or something like that. Right. But yep. uh, which wildly, we should just, that's a whole different article uh, yeah. that we should get into. Don't, <laughs> this does not apply there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for your team, you're probably reviewing code of somebody that you work with every day. And you probably have some general understanding of what they're going through and, and the requirements of the team. And if you're like, for instance, there are periods when you're under like some super deadline, you know, you got to get this thing out in two weeks. And if you don't, something bad happens. Uh, people's jobs might be on the line or something might be, you know, whatever, who knows. And if you're saying, you know, this, you got to do this pebble thing, rename everything. That's not the time. That might not be the time to, to do it. And that's when you make it into a task. And, And other times I've had, you know, whatever, right after Christmas or something like that, when, or right before Christmas when you're in code freeze or something like that. If you work in e-commerce, you're not changing the website during your major shopping holidays. You kind of have, like, there's not exactly a strict deadline. That's when I would push a little bit more and say, hey, I think we could make a difference here. Like, let's take a, you know, maybe another day. But it's all about, that all comes back to context. So know where you're at as a code reviewer. I don't think code review, and this is a personal opinion, but I don't think code review should be done in a vacuum. Some people do. And I know that that's just an opinion, but mm. I think code review mm-hmm. should be done in the fabric of what your team is experiencing. Yes. Like the, the quality, I try, I try not to review the reviewer, review the code, but yep. do it in a way that takes, in my opinion, takes into consideration what that person is likely going through, aka have some empathy. You know, don't push on them for 45 comments of nitpicks. And push on them to do it if they're under a strict deadline and the code largely looks good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit of a tangent. But. No, I, I actually, I don't think it's a tangent. And I, it's it's exactly what I was going to get to next, actually, which is, uh, which is our, our, did we talk about dust yet? And now I can't remember. Did we talk about dust? Uh, we sort of said nitpicks, but I think cover it if you want to. Go for it. Well, yeah, I'll cover it real quick because this one is kind of the most obvious one. It's it's they call it dust. It's basically take it or leave it. It's an it's an opinion. It's a nitpick, and to me, um, you know, a bunch of stuff falls into this category, and you're just kind of like, yeah, this is fine, but also ship it. This is the like fix it, ship it comment. So I, I don't think we really need to talk much more about that. I think what you were just talking about is 
maybe like one of the most important parts about code review because because it does make a difference whether you are reviewing your own code maybe you're reviewing somebody else's code who has uh, uh, you know submitted something to your team's part of the code base that happens with you know teams doing inner source and things like that maybe you're actually working in open source and and we haven't talked about that really but that's kind of a different uh, a different like strata of of code review that you're dealing with um when you were talking, I, I was reminded of how uh, when we were working together, you organized a live code review session every week. It was like an it was a weekly live coding review, live code review with whoever wanted to come. And it was kind of, you know, it tended to be people from the same group. But I thought it was great. It was like a great way to get a bunch of people into a room, uh, get people to know each other, um, but also like review code in a group. And uh, so we all kind of like the ideas uh, make their way around the the room really quickly. And we get a sense for like a baseline of what's expected in not just how to write code, but how to review code. Uh, and you would always start it with uh, a, a few caveats or a few sort of like ground rules, which is like review the re- review, the code, not the reviewer, uh, assume best intent. And yeah, basically just like have empathy. I think that's what it all comes down to is, is have empathy for the person writing the code and, um, and yeah, let's all go into this, like uh, assuming that this person knows what they're doing and also uh, did their did their best, you know, use their best judgment. Yeah, I actually, I really loved those live review sessions. It's one of the Me things too. I missed from the office. I learned a ton, uh, particularly, I mean, from Artie is one of the people in the room that was, he's an excellent code reviewer. He really is, um, yeah. And just see, would see another level of stuff that I wouldn't see and draw connections between things. So it was really it was really cool to see how different people looked at code and code review. I remember uh, Ev, our mutual friend Evan had a very particular way of reviewing code uh, way, way back when, and that was interesting as well. The, the things that I would say before we started, I think is I still say that in my code review, yeah. which is I have a fundamental belief that if you're on this team that I'm on, that we are on a level playing field, and I'm I'm going to assume that you're you're good at what you do, and that we're we're starting from a level of trust, and then you have to you have to break that. And the, what that translates to in code review, when I review someone's code, is I'm not going to assume it's wrong. Like I'm not going in there assuming that it's bad or needs work or something like that. I'm going to go there assuming that you did your due diligence, you tested it, it looks good, it works good, and I'm going to find I'm going to help you cover your back, right? I'm going to, I'm going to like get your back and figure out if there's some breaking issue, boulder issue. And then the other stuff is learning. Like maybe I can learn a little bit more about what you're doing here. Maybe I see some things that I could help teach you in the code review, but in a way that's not, you got to do this or that, you know, I won't ship your code. It's like, Hey, maybe have you ever thought about this? Have you seen this? And I'll link documents and stuff like that. It's up to you if you want to read it or not. I'm not forcing it on you. But it all comes down to that last point that you made right before I start the live reviews is sort of just um, walk a mile in their shoes, right? Have empathy for the person. And that's, I just see code reviews so wildly different where people can get, they can nerd snipe you or something like that. They just get really (laughs) rough in code review. And I think like, would you say that to the person's face? And better yet, what I would actually ask, the first thing that I would say is review code as if you would get the comment. Yeah. So, you know, the old phrase do unto others, right? But it's really important. Like if you just say like, this is, this is shit, you know, or like people leave rough comments on code. I've Mm -hmm. seen it. Like, this is bad. You're, you're doing something dumb. 
Like, would you want that? How would you feel if you, if you like worked really hard on something, you open up a code review and it's just a bunch of just terrible stuff or people being really rude or short with you. Give me the Man, time of day. Like be nice, like write make, a nice comment. Yeah. That's making my blood boil. Just thinking about Isn't like, it though? That, I know. Those it's, <laughs> Cause that's we also are like generally, we like humans and we, right. you know, we, we care about our teammates and stuff like that. So I think it, yeah. that's the difference. And I do think it comes down to assuming best intent because when you leave comments like that, it's toxic for one thing. It's, it creates such a toxic environment because you can't, you, like, you can't leave a comment like that and and not understand that or, or or not think that it's going to cause friction in the intra team working relationship, like in the in the working relationship between you and your direct teammate who you are probably working with every day. A comment like that does not assume that the person knows what they're doing. Like comments like that just sort of like uh, make a complete disconnect between the the person writing the code and the code itself. But like, I you know, I think that kind of whatever I'm kind of going twisting things around because now I'm kind of like, well, you review the code, not the person. But it, I think that it's important to be, yeah, just empathetic. And uh, yeah, we don't need to we need to keep like beating this into the ground. But um, no, but I think it is it's sometimes we can abstract this stuff away, right? Because we're writing software and then you don't see the, especially in remote teams, you can work with somebody or review their code that you've literally never met them in person. And also software uh, or code in general or whatever this, this job that we do, you know, there, there's just, there can be like extra stuff added to it where the superiority complexes or whatever, where, where people get, weird and nerdy about things. Um, Mm -hmm. I think about if you were teaching, you know, you're, you're a mentor in another field, right? Like say you're a welder or in in construction, I worked construction years ago, right? From from like age 14 to age 19. And my boss would never come over and be like, you idiot, you cut that wrong. (laughs) He would come over and he's like, oh, we can do a little bit better. Let me show you how. And he he would get in there and show me a better way. And then I'd want to do better because he'd come back. I'd be like, look, I did it better, (laughs) you know? And it was such a big difference because I had coworkers who were, who had had power, like would power trip on this type of stuff when I was in construction and they'd be like, you idiot, you suck. And then they wouldn't show you how to do it better. And it never felt like it didn't make me any better. Yeah. So this is such an, it's such an opportunity why like I look at code review as such an opportunity because you can build strong relationships, you can build a better code base, you can teach each other and you learn a lot. Like me reading code is one of the best ways to learn a code base inside it out because other people are touching all sorts of parts of it. So there's just so much opportunity for benefit here if it's treated the right way. So I love that they kind of they they build this system of how this is how you respond to things because in a shared vernacular there's safety. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't go outside these comment types. And you got to be really careful how you bucket them. And then people can challenge those buckets and say like, hey, I don't actually think this is a boulder, you know, but they, you have the shared language, right? I think that's right. super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just have one more thought about this article, uh, which is it, it reminds me of years ago when I would review code and I think back to how I used to review code and I cringe, like not because it was not because I was leaving those types of toxic comments, but because I was, uh, I was just reviewing code as if it was like, there, there was nothing less than a boulder. Basically I was, I, I would, I would look at like, you know, how code was written and, and I would think in my head, I was like, I would do it differently. I would do it this way. And I would sort of leave a comment that was like, here's how I would do it. 
but I would just leave it as a blocking comment. And I just there, I didn't, I don't think I even had the sense that there could be a non-blocking comment until I, I, I sort of like saw that happening. I was like, oh, I, I can loosen up a little bit. And I just, I think back to that that time, and I was like, I don't know. I think part of it was like a little bit of an imposter syndrome, and uh, maybe coming from like a different culture. But, but uh, yeah, I think it was really helpful to kind of realize that I don't have that that this is true that you can leave comments and still say let's address this later like let's still ship this code and let's address it in a, in a follow-up pr yeah i mean i've got great comments from you in code review so whatever you were doing it's not what you are doing or what you were doing <laughs> the last time i got code review from you um and i've had some great the way that i started code review professionally was uh, trying with Evan's system of code review minting memory. Like they were uh, way, way back. We had to, mm-hmm. we had to, oh man, you had to like have three or five code reviews five. that with five code reviews with at least three major comments on them that yep. were insightful and had, had some like sick level of significance. And then you'd have meta reviews of your reviews by a panel of people to see how are these comments did they miss anything and if you missed anything you went all the way back to the beginning in a roguelike adventure for becoming a (laughs) (laughs) for becoming a code reviewer and i think that was really good first off like for as a training program however it set me up to be looking for problems yeah which and i think yeah I think it had an unintended consequence, which was that across the board, it like it, I think it, it, it incentivized the wrong things in a code review, which is leaving, which is like trying to dig deep and find a major comment to leave, uh, which is, yeah, I just, I just don't see that anymore. And, and I will say like the people who are making those decisions also see it that way too, and which is yeah. great. And to be honest, I think if uh, the person who was kind of leading that charge, you know, th- th- this person was like. We got to fix something and we got We only have three reviewers for the whole company. So we got to like find a system that's going to get us more reviewers. When you say minting, that's that's what it is. It was like finding uh, people who who were approved new reviewers. Right. And um, yeah, I will say like the process went through a few iterations after that. And and uh, I would I would I would bet if if we asked the person who came up with that, they would also say like, yeah, that's probably <laughs> incentivizing the, the wrong thing. Yeah. On a, I mean, on a side note, the company later basically just like stripped away all code review pretense and just said like anyone can ship code your slas are you have to do it like four hours like you want to basically just just trying to like get code out faster and nothing blew up which was kind of interesting to me and that was a big turning point because i remember when there was a period of time we were saying like anyone can be a code reviewer because a bunch of people had you have to go through testing and all this stuff to be to be able to ship code and I thought that was really important. And then they just like, no one, it doesn't matter. Anyone can do it. And I thought, there's going to ruin us. Like, we're, yeah. we're going to be, we're going to like, the code base is going to fall over in three days. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of interesting that teams probably know or get a good sense for how to regulate each other. Now, there's always going to be outliers, right? There's going to be teams yep. that just like ship shitty code or whatever, and it blows up. And then they pay that debt and maybe they learn. Right. And there's teams that maybe go the other side and they like refine code too far and then they ship too slow. And then, you know, their product manager comes and says, what the F are you doing? We haven't shipped a feature in four months. And then they probably learn and peel back. But it's like humans are really good at figuring this stuff out. We're all adult professionals that likely will come to some sort of stasis over time. Mm-hmm. And that's important for that was important for me to learn at least. 
Yeah. And I think I had the same reaction, which was like, wait, this is never going to work. We're just going to ship a bunch of bugs. But like what ended up happening was actually probably what the intended consequence was, which was decentralize the the review process and push it out to the individual teams. Because what we what we would see is like teams would have their own review process. They would take what used to be the centralized process and still use it. So it was great because it was like letting teams decide how, you know, what priority they felt code review was. And I think that that was a, a lesson we needed to learn. Uh, and I think it's a lesson that a lot of companies need to learn when they reach a certain size. Because, you, you know, if you're a startup and you only have 12 developers or whatever, like that's a completely different situation than if you have dozens or hundreds of teams and those teams are working on all manner of uh different projects from from internal tools to customer facing to business like those there's just uh you can't have one use case that that fits everything agreed all right Um, yeah anything else you wanted to cover we we got it there i think i think we're good did you have anything else no i think we covered it all okay nice and code review that's it yeah be nice be empathetic um okay well uh we we are keeping it really we were like all right we're gonna we're gonna try and keep a sh- really short episode we'll do it like 15 15 minutes 44 and, uh, minutes later <laughs> yep. so with on that note what are you trending that was a good one <laughs> uh joe what are you learning i did the tldr all right, I am learning. Uh, it's actually something that I that I uh, this will be a quick one. I it's not something I'm learning right now, but I, I went through this um, through this thing called uh, Game Shell a while ago, a couple of couple of months ago, and I remembered it, and I, it was so much fun, and I like learned a few things. To be honest, like I didn't learn a ton while I was doing it, but it's basically a shell based uh, like adventure game to learn how to use Linux. So I was like, you know, I, I already have like a f- pretty solid foundation in Linux commands, but it's a it was a really fun way to to kind of like learn how to do sort of file finding and and grepping and and things like that because it's like you just like kind of enter into this thing and it's it's like the old uh, adventure game where it's like you're standing in front of a castle and you can go into the garden, you can go into the main hall, you can go into the dungeon, whatever, and which would do you want to do? And so you kind of choose your own adventure. And then it's like you go into the main hall and it's like you find a chest and you open the chest and it has a scroll. And then the the like screen has this little scroll on it and the scroll tells you what your mission is. So that's the like every every step of the way is like a different mission. So the first mission is just like, you know, um, oh, so to go into the main hall, you get CD main hall or whatever. So so all of these rooms are uh, nested directories. So the first one is like get rid of all the spiders. So you basically have to do like RM rf star uh star spider or whatever so you got to remove all the all the files and it basically just like builds on itself it's super fun i recommend it game shell it's it's um it's on github so we'll we'll like we'll link it in the show notes but it's this uh i think it's this one person's github but it's just called uh fiverr with a phy fiverr slash game shell on github it's fun i think i might have done that I think Fiverr's done some other shell-based systems for learning something, but um, nice. that's super cool. Yeah, yep, that's fun. What uh, what are you learning? Yeah, uh, so I am learning work, uh, trying to like learn more of the inner workings of the Apollo Cache, uh, particularly like I think V three. I forget what version. Uh, I don't remember. I think it's V three, but it's working directly with Cache intentionally and like how it how it does what it does and how it how it works because I. 
we use uh, Apollo Cash heavily. So mm-hmm. it's sort of been like how to manipulate the cash. Sometimes you have to do, sometimes you got to get in there and like do stuff with the cash uh, on purpose, which is kind of scary to me. So that's been new. Um, you know, basically like merging, stitching things together and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Because Apollo Cash does some sort of collapsing of information and renaming and how it writes its keys and stuff like that. Just sort of like just getting into, so that I know that and can work intentionally in it. Uh, because I was running into some issues with the Apollo cache. So I watched a bunch of videos. I can't remember the name of the developer. I think they're an Apollo developer. I uh, watched a bunch of videos from them. I was reading through the docs. Docs, The docs are always good at Apollo. However, the Apollo cache docs to me, I think, maybe aren't as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such a complicated topic, and it feels like a lot of the docs stay pretty surfacey. If that makes yeah. sense, you got to go into source code. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, f- for sure. I've never really dug into the Apollo cache, but I would imagine that you would have to dig into the source code a little bit to really figure out what's going on. The the um, you know the the number one thing I can think of when I'm thinking about interacting with a, a Apollo cache or any kind of like any kind of request cache is optimistic updates. So like I don't know if that's what you're working on, but in general, that's when I have dealt with the cache where you're like, okay, I want to like uh, make a say a post request. I want to like delete an an item out of this list. And, but I want to show it to the user optimistically. So I want to, yep. rather than, w- yeah, like waiting for the response to come back, I want to update the cache so that the user sees it. And then when the response comes that back, it will put that new response into the cache, but then you have to handle errors and stuff. Optimistic updates can get really complicated. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what it is. It's, optim- <laughs> it's optimistic. Update. Think <laughs> about, think also like moving things between, so like drag and drop. Uh, you want to optimistically show something moving in a user interface, but you're not making updates to that thing until the like the process is done. But to the customer, you want it, you want it to move, and then you need data to f- kind of flow through the app based on that movement as if it did move. But you don't want it to rely. You don't want like a pending GraphQL request to decide all that. Like you want to do that optimistically. So um, yeah, cache anything cache is hard. Uh, anything optimistic cache is really hard. So that's that's what I've been learning. Nice. Uh, all right. So today we are going to forego the the good news cruise and we're going to row our boat down the video. Hey, what was the name? Oh, <laughs> man. Gonna, You're, oh, you you missed your it. own son's name. Oh, I don't, well, okay. <laughs> that's right. Bro, it's We're, rowing the boat down the video game river. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we named him Row the Boat. <laughs> yeah, his name is Row the Boat. Uh, really avant-garde. No, it's rowing the boat down the video game river. All right, we are rowing the boat down the video game river. Rowan, you want to say hello? Hello. <laughs> so today we have we have Rowan on, and we Rowan specifically asked to be on the podcast with Evan, right? Hello. Yep. It is me, Evan. And the laugh you heard earlier was not the giggle of a child; it was the giggle of a grown man. I went. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan, how are you doing today? Good. Good. What's new? What did What did you just What did we just get finished doing? Um. Playing Mario 3D World. Playing Mario 3D World. Yep, we did a little bit of that. What's what do you do in Mario 3D World? Um, go through a pipe. 
Yeah, you go through. They a, get to another um, dimension, I think. Yeah, and what what kind of suit do you get? You get like a special suit. A cat. A uh, cat suit. That's and right. Also, you get a gigabell. A gigabell. Yeah, that makes you turn really big, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a really, 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 really big cat. Yeah. Oh, I saw the uh, the cat suit featured in a trailer. Have you seen the trailer for the new Mario movie? Oh, I don't think we've seen that sure. yet. In it, Donkey Kong and Mario fight, and Mario gets a cat suit. <laughs> so oh. I have never seen the cat ah. suit before. And Donkey Kong and him fight, and he gets a special box, and he opens it, and it's a cat suit, and Donkey Kong laughs at him because he just looks like a cat. <laughs> and he didn't look very scary. <laughs> well, that, that story was so wild, they made Rowan drop his Zelda shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. Okay, so so buddy, we're oh, there goes the sword. Um, buddy, we said we we're gonna talk about your three favorite games with Evan, right? Yeah. Which one should we talk about first? Um Splatoon. Splatoon. Evan, have you played Splatoon? I have played Splatoon and I am bad at it. I so I got Splatoon and I, this is the reason why I got Nintendo online was so that I could play Splatoon with other people. And then I realized oh. People probably like you, Rowan, your age, are way better at Splatoon than I am because I can't. <laughs> it's really fun, though. What, what's your favorite part about Splatoon? Um, I I like the Octo Samurai. Whoa. Nice. We've been, we were playing pretend Splat. We've, we've never played with other people. Uh, we just play the single player. But, um, but today we were playing pretend Splatoon, and we were in uh, – Rowan wanted to be in, in a Splatoon school. So we were playing Splatoon School. Nice. What do you learn in Splatoon School? <laughs> um, we we build new um sprayers and and we, and we um and we show our teacher how to use them. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I'd like to go to Splatoon <laughs> School. I went to boring regular school, and it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no. School is good. I like school. Go to school. <laughs> Um, let's see. So Splatoon, what was the, uh, what's your other favorite game? Paper Mario. Paper Mario. Evan, you've played Paper Mario. I know that. I have played Paper Mario. My favorite part of Paper Mario is when he goes and throws the confetti in the air to fix parts of the map. I always like doing that. Yeah. I like, I like that part too. (laughs) What's your favorite part? What's your Um, favorite part? My favorite part. Part is with Bob-omb. Yeah, with Bob-omb. Bob-omb is Rowan's favorite character. Ooh, do you have a favorite uh, Valumental? You remember like the Earth ones or the dragons? You know, remember the dragons or the ice Valumental? Remember the bosses? Do you have like a favorite boss? Yeah, I like, those are all my favorite. Yeah, they're all his favorites. Is the is nice. the Firebird your favorite? Yeah. In, oh, in the Firebird is hard. Elemental and the... And uh, water elemental and earth elemental. Yeah, you just like them all. Who's your favorite character other than Bob-omb? You like another? Olivia. Olivia, yep. I love that. It's so funny. Did we make a real life Olivia? Yeah, we made two Olivias. What? Uh, one that looks like um, the real Olivia from the game um, and one that doesn't really look like it. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make Olivia out of? Um... We use one construction paper and one origami paper. Yeah. We made like Whoa. made a origami Olivia. 
No way. Was there a guide online or something? How did you do that? Yeah. There's a video online what? and it's great. It's like, it's a, uh, it's this guy. It's not like an official one, but it's this guy who makes Olivia out of origami and it turned out awesome and it was super easy. Well, maybe not soup, maybe super easy is a little bit of an overstatement, but it was pretty easy. One of them was super yeah. easy and the other one was like, <laughs> it sounds yeah. like one worked out well. <laughs> like yeah. Biff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Do you like doing origami? Yeah. Yeah. Rowan loves origami. We've made m- a most of the of the Paper Mario characters. Do you want to ask Evan what his uh, favorite game is? What's your favorite game, Evan? Thank you for asking. I'm glad you asked. My favorite game is also in your top three, and that's Breath Ooh. of the Wild. Ooh. Breath of the Wild. I played that game so much and also did all of the downloadable content and did the Master Sword Challenge and got every single i mean made every recipe in the game we did we played that game so much i love that game yeah we did all the all the downloadable content too you know the um the uh the motorcycle yeah yeah we got the motorcycle motorcycle is cool did you get the giant horse yeah what oh you named the giant horse do you remember what you wanted to name it Shrinky Shrink. Shrinky Shrink was the name was the name <laughs> of one of our horses. <laughs> so we named our first horse uh Pinky Pank. <laughs> Pinky and then Pink. you wanted Pinky Pank and you wanted to name the giant horse Biggie Pank. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Biggie good name. Pank. Biggie <laughs> Pank. I mean I, I like Shrinky Shrink for the giant horse yeah. too. That's I like it too. <laughs> He's this guy, Rowan, is the best at naming horses in Breath of the Wild. You came up with some other really good names. Yeah, and and did you defeat um did you defeat Ganon? He was really cool. Yeah, Ganon was cool. I did defeat Ganon, and then we played it again in the master uh master quest. Because once you beat him, you can do it again. But the yeah. game gets much, much harder. And then I haven't gotten to Ganon in Master Quest. Oh, we've never played the Master Quest. Uh, yeah. level, all the monsters like the change Quest. color, um, so uh-huh. like they all like you can get, you know how you get different color bobkins and stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it, when you play a Master Quest, they all change color and become much harder, and then they regenerate their health when you're fighting them. So the game gets so hard; it makes it way different. Oh. Uh, not as much fun though. Not as much fun. Yeah, we should try that. We we mostly like exploring, right? Yeah, we mostly like to wander around. Yeah. What's your favorite um what's your favorite area? My favorite area is the desert. The desert? Yeah. What li- what lives under the sand? Um Moldugas. Moldugas. <laughs> yes. They're yeah, pretty Molduga. funny. Yeah, I like <laughs> the walruses that you can jump on. Those are funny. Do you like Beetle? Yeah. Yeah, Beetle, the guy who walks yeah. around and tries to sell us stuff. Yeah. 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 Do you ever bring Beetle a Beetle? He really likes the Beetles. <laughs> <laughs> what game are you going to play next? What's the next game you're going to play? Good question. Mm. What do you think? Maybe The Witcher? I don't think we're going to play The Witcher together. Maybe not. That might not be age appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that, that might be too scary. <laughs> it's scary even for me, Rowan. Uh, yeah. The Witcher is very scary. If you could if you could uh change one thing about Breath of the Wild, what would you do? What would you change? 
Oh, that's a good question. I would change it um to to like um Batman. Batman. Ooh, Whoa. Breath of the Wild, but Batman. That sounds amazing. Breath of the Batman. Yeah. Breath of the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. So would you have like gadgets and stuff, or would you literally be Batman flying around? Maybe like a grappling hook. Oh, yeah. good idea. Yeah, and you even have have a bat boomerang for for defeating Ganon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, Defeat Ganon with your bat boomerang. To, to, um, this is a super bat boomerang. Yeah. This is a super bat boomerang to defeat <laughs> nice. Ganon. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good weapon to defeat Ganon with. Although. Yep. I've never been able to get a boomerang to actually come back to me in real life. I don't know if have you ever thrown a real boomerang? No, we've never thrown a real boomerang. We will someday. We don't have a boomerang, but I have also never been able to get one to come back to me in real life. In games they make it look really easy. It's buddy, so easy. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in real life, you throw it <laughs> and then you forget that you have a spinning wooden blade coming at you at about thirty miles an hour and it's hard. It's hard to catch. Yeah, I've never actually caught one. (laughs) I've been hit in the face by boomerangs trying to catch it on the way back. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like a pain. Yeah, it was a pain. (laughs) I'm very bad at catching things, Ron. I'm very bad at it. Yeah, me too. It's okay. I once tried um, to throw my Captain America shield, but then... Um, but then it, like, it just landed on the ground. <laughs> Rowan is a shield connoisseur. Rowan has a Captain America shield shields. and a Lincoln. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like the shield master. You are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about time to head out. Buddy, can you give us a bird sound that we can add to our, uh, to our, our Sail Away on the Good News Cruise sound effect? Okay. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> oh, do a, nice. Do a okay. long one. That was, that was yeah. really good. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> yes, that was so good. Okay. Oh, one more. We need a, we need a sound effect because you're dressed like Link. Can you make a Link sound? Yeah, you go. <laughs> nice. And what about when he, when he jumps? Um, he goes, ha. Good. Oh, that was nice. good. Nice. Okay, sweet. Well, it was great talking to you, Rowan, and I'm glad we could talk about video games. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you say to Evan? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rowan. Yeah. <laughs> He's you like, could, I don't know say, what to say. <laughs> yeah, you could say it was good to talk to you, too, and I'll talk to you later. Good to talk to you, too, and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, come back on the show, Rowan. We got to have you on again. You're the best guest we've ever had. All right, that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it for today. So uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed this episode. I hope everybody enjoyed the new segment. Um, go to leave a comment. If you, it, whether or not you enjoyed it, go leave a comment, leave a suggestion, uh, ask us a question for a future episode. We want to hear from you. So uh, yeah, go to runtimerundown.com. Um, Evan. Anything, yep. Uh, anything if you have add? any ideas for new segments or if you want to hear Row in the Boat on the Video Game River again, 
let us know. Get in there, give us a comment, and make sure to go leave five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Actually, every episode in Spotify has a QA attached to it as well. So you can get involved there if you're interested. There's usually like some some sort of question in there. So once you're if you're in your Spotify app, you can go to runtimerundown.com and listen to it. You could also get involved in the QA and the episodes. Uh, no one has yet. Womp womp. <laughs> But you could be the first. (laughs) Be the first. Uh, That's enticing. That is enticing. Uh, But that's about it. That's all I got for this week. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Sounds good. All right. See you, everybody.